astronomy, astrology, art, symbology, methodology, medicine, and philosophical analysis. And despite that these sciences were not exercised in a scientific way as known today, alchemy is the origin of modern logic. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, dear listeners, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to another episode of the Alchemy of Truth with your host, Nasr al-Khatib. We have a very exciting show uh, coming up tonight. Um, we start first uh, with the topic of Somalia, a very interesting and very uh, out-of-sight, out-of-mind sort of topic. Uh, our guest um, has just returned from a trip from Somalia. Uh, it's uh, Abdi Malik Osman. Uh, who we are going to be speaking to for the first half of the show, and we're also going to be going to uh, cover some of the um, events that have been happening over the last three days in regards to Palestine and the Israeli uh, aggression against them, uh, inshallah. Uh, so moving on to um, our guest, uh, Abdi, salam alaikum. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, so you've been back from Somalia for about a week now, right? Yeah, I just got back in on Saturday. Yes, so and I think it was on Saturday night that I asked you to come in for the show. Pretty much. <laughs> well, I was jet lagged, so <laughs> you, were jet-lagged, you yes. got me at a good time. So, yes, that's. Um, well, I either get my guests drunk or I wait for them to be jet lagged. <laughs> and I, I pounce. Uh, great strategy there. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, so, yes, um, Somalia for me is very interesting because historically uh, it's got an amazing uh, Islamic history. Uh, but also recently, in the past 20 years, it just looks like such an amazingly, like an intensely violent place, continuously. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned as well before um, about Somalia, that most people know about Somalia is from what they see in the media. And what they see in the media is um, Black Hawk Down. Pretty much. It's a good movie. <laughs> Great movie. And apparently it was shot in Mauritania. There you go. Or or Morocco or something. Like yeah. they couldn't actually shoot in, in yeah, Somalia. Yeah. But all black people look alike. So. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, no, that's that's yeah, what the makers of the exactly, movie were probably exactly. thinking. Uh, or, of course, um, Ayan Hirsi Ali's book, Infidel. Yeah. In which he talks in length. I think the first half of the book really is set in, in Somalia. And it talks of angry people and um, yeah, Islam yeah. just basically being a cancerous uh, force. Actually, I had a, one of my listeners asking me not to mention that name again. <laughs> so I'll not be mentioning so, yeah, that name. Don't mention it. In inshallah. As well. um, so then tell me, first of all, um, why did you travel to Somalia? Was it for family? Just family No, purposes? I think what you just said right now um, is what really inspired me. Like when you just spoke about Somalia, you pretty much kind of labeled all the negative stuff. And it's. I think it's years of the media portraying Somalia as... Um, a place where it's one of the world's most dangerous places. Um, and like, to be honest, when you think of Somalia, you think of struggle. Uh, quite recently, you think of the famine that happened in Somalia last year. Mm. Um, you think of Black Hawk Down, as you said. Um, and we tend to overlook um, over this amazing, um, extensive history of Somalia. You know, from when the Rosaliyah sent uh, his campaigns over to Abyssinia, um, and when Islam got first introduced into Somalia, um, to the conquest of Abyssinia uh, by one of our most um, famous imams, Imam Ahmed Gurey. Um, you know, we overlook in 1960 when 13 young Somalis got together and uh, pretty much put the first political party together uh, called the Somali Youth League. 
Um, yeah, we forget all about this. We forget also that Somalia is also known as the nation of poets. You know, poets. very, very well known for its poetry. Um, you know, the, it's people, if you go all around the UK, you go to the US, even Australia, most Somalis are business-minded people. Um, you know, there's this famous um, part of our history where, you know, we're pretty much placed in a very strategic and beautiful location, uh, the coast of Somalia. Mm. And, you know, the Indians and the Asians used to come through there to do their business. And what the Somalis used to do is get all the cinnamon that used to come from Asia and from China and then sell it off to the Ottomans and to the um, to the Arabs as its own. And for years and years, they've been selling it. And it was a very lucrative business. Um, so it's, it's got this amazing history. And we tend to overlook it and we only view history as the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And I think that's what inspired me to really get in touch with where I come from, to understand this this beautiful history, to understand the culture, to understand the people. And I wasn't getting it from the news. I wasn't getting it from um, the media. So I took this journey upon myself and shot a documentary and uh, captured some of the beauty um, of Somalia. So um, let's um, look as as a person who loves history. I always like to go back to the very beginning, mm-hmm. and um, it may be also because of my um, uh, identity. I guess as a Muslim, I like to think of history as before Islam and then when Islam came and how the changes that were made before then. So um, Somalia before the, I mean, when did Islam reach uh, Somalia? I think it reached Somalia, uh, Islam reached Somalia when the Prophet um, sent the Sahaba to Abyssinia when Najas was um, in, Najashi, uh, yeah. Najashi, sorry, was in Abyssinia and when they were being persecuted in Mecca. And quite a number of the Sahaba uh, migrated um I think it was up north of some uh, of uh, sorry up east. They went east of uh, Abyssinia, Ethiopia, and that's where Islam came in um, into Somalia. Um, yeah, and over years it's developed, and I think they say that Somalia is the only country that um, free without conquest, without war, or without nothing that Islam was introduced there. Um, and 99% or 99.9% of the population today is Muslim. Mashallah. And I think that 0.1% is Ayan Hersi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's funny. That's yes, uh, subhanAllah. That's amazing. Um, just as a note to our listeners that uh, if you would like to call and uh, contribute to the show, you can certainly do so. I'm just trying to find the number. Oh, okay, so you can call us on Sydney number 02972433355 or you can uh, interact with us on our tweet account, Twitter, Twitter account, which is Alchemy of Truth or Facebook, facebook.com slash Alchemy of Truth. Or you can even go to the website uh, www.thealchemyoftruth.com.au, uh, inshallah. Tell us then about the, the colonization, the wave of colonization that's taken Somalia as uh, from my readings it was the British, the Italians and the French yeah, wasn't yeah, it? And yeah, so yeah. Djibouti historically is Somalia and yeah. I think North Somaliland as well historically is Somalia. Somaliland, yeah. How how long was the um, this the phase of colonization and how did the Somalis um, accept or how did they um, react with the colonization? Was it fighting? Was it normal? How I think it? Um, one of, another guy um, called Sayyid Muhammad Abdullah, um, who's a national hero, um, fought for, for many years against the British. 
uh, and unfortunately lost some of the wars. Um, but it was, I think, because everyone had an interest in Somalia because it, um, of its location, um, the coast, um, the resource, the natural resources that, that's there, that's available. Um, so if you look at Djibouti, which used to be, as you said, part of Somalia, uh, was colonized by the French. So majority of the people in Djibouti now speak French. Um, Somalia, um, people speak either, um, what do you call it, pretty good English or really good uh, Italian. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So okay. my father speaks it- a bit of Italian. Uh, and some of the language, some of the words already, some of the words in um, in Somali is Italian, um, and it just somehow found its way in there. Um, but uh, after uh, what's called World War Two, the, uh, the UN the UN um, put a mandate that that slowly that Somali has to gain its own freedom and its own governance. I think that's where the Somali Youth League um, came about. Um, this is by Ahmed Gurea, the guy you spoke no, about. No, no, Ahmed Gurea was uh, a while back. Um, okay, 1960, you mentioned. 1543 was Ahmed Gurea. Wow. During the conquest of Abyssinia. Okay, but yeah. Um, yeah, the Somali Youth League was like, um, after World War Two. Okay. So tell us, uh, how has uh, Somalia changed? I mean, just a, a quick rundown that uh, Somalia had a corrupt, I think, communist leader until yeah. 19... 19 until uh, in the 80s yeah, yeah. when it collaped uh, after he was assassinated yeah and 1991 was when the everything started to yeah um, hell broke loose pretty much and yeah, that's yeah. when a lot of the Somalis that you see today in Australia and the UK uh, that's when they started migrating um, from Somalia like mm. the main reason why I'm in Australia today was because of that war in 19 civil war in 1991 mm. um, but so like when I was there um, I saw a completely different side of Somalia. Um, I'll just keep the story forward. When I, I have got some family and relatives in Kenya, um, a cousin of mine, they moved from Australia to Kenya to teach their kids Quran, and they set up a business there. And when I came back from Somalia, I started, he's a 14-year-old kid, and I'm showing him photos of Somalia. And the whole time he was like, no, nah, there's no way in the world that's Somalia. And the whole time I was like, wallahi, wallahi, that's Somalia. And he, he's 14 years old, you know, and he... Why didn't he believe it? Because I captured the beauty of Somalia. Oh, okay. some, of the, some of the great stuff of Somalia. And he was saying, this is not Somalia. You probably went to Tanzania or some other African country. Got to a point where I had to say, Wallahi billahi talahi, which is the equivalent of uksimu billah. Um, and for me, that was a little experiment that I, I did. And for to see a young kid, 14 years old, who's already got this perception about our country... Uh, his motherland, um, you know, just from what he sees on on the internet um, and on TV. But the progress that I saw was, subhanAllah, like I went, I saw businessmen from the UK, from the US, uh, even from Australia. I saw this young guy uh, who was on a visa ad in the 2000 Olympics, um, Somali young bloke setting up a business there. And nobody in their right mind will set up a business in an unstable country because you you would say, like, my money would go away, like, instantly. Uh, mm. It's not worth it. But these people are setting up business there, which shows you that Somali is pretty much back up on its feet and it's getting there. Um, and the next few years, inshallah, it will be um, a place where people run to. And before the collapse of Somali, people from Italy, from France, everywhere used to go to Somalia for, for a holiday. Um, unbelievable beaches who would pretty much... 
destroy Bondi Beach or Manly Beach. Um, unbelievable white <laughs> sand and yeah. um, it's breathtaking. Um, so going back um, after the US tried to come in and help, um, well, after the US tried to interfere in Somalia's mm. uh, uh, situation and after they were kicked out by the um, um, the warlords at the time. Yeah. And I think that was the time that they were called Paper Tigers, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they never came back to Somalia. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, so after that time, uh, until I think about, what was it, 2000, 2001, that the Islamic uh, Union of Courts came into play? Or 2006, actually? 2007. Yeah, 2007. Seven, okay, yeah. yeah. So for 10, for actually more than 15 years... Mm. Um, it was just sort of like a failed state. There was nothing happening. Pretty much. Probably yeah. with pockets of control in, in otherwise chaos. Yeah. And then the Islamic uh, Courts Union came. And um, from I remember from my readings of it, it seemed to be very, um, very pr- positive, very productive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they had respect towards Islamic understanding yeah. uh, of governance, but also a respect towards traditional Somali traditions. Yeah, yeah. And so, for example, they would mention that they didn't use violence to stop alcohol or to, to stop crime. They just basically spoke to the tribe, yeah, tribal yeah. elders. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was broken as well mm. because apparently there were some of the um, uh, tribal leaders were, or some of the people who were involved in it were part of Al-Qaeda or something. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at the Somali history um, for century, for till the beginning, we've been um, they're very tribalistic in nature. Um, and there are about five or six main tribes um, in Somalia. And when uh, the U.S. invaded, I think that was the only time when the whole country united together to fight off really? the U.S. And I think that's a story that not many people talk about, um, is that they would rather, you know, they'll fight off, they all got together, they fought off the Americans, and they went back, after the Americans left, they went back to their own um, they started fighting with amongst themselves again. What? That's uh, very interesting. Why would they do that? To be honest, that's some, I have no clue why they would do that. But I think I was thinking to myself um, for a number of years, I was like, our people, are, they all pretty much follow the same adhab, uh, Shafi'i. They all speak the same language, Somali, and most of them speak Arabic as well. And the majority of the population, 99%, as I said earlier, is Muslim. Yeah. Why are they fighting constantly? A friend of mine was saying, like, you know, when people are so different, uh, so so similar, they look for something that's different. And that difference is the Khabil, which is the, the tribe. Yeah. And khabil means tribe. Yeah, Khabil. Yeah, Khabil means tribe in Somali. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've been fighting against each other because of that Khabil for so many years. And it's that arrogance that my Khabil is uh, better than yours or bigger than yours or my history, my Khabil's history is a lot stronger, um, more well-known. Ahmed Guray, Imam Ahmed Guray is from my tribe and um, and so forth. Um, but coming to the Islamic courts, SubhanAllah, during the time that they were there, um, Somalia was very peaceful, even more peaceful than today. And this is the majority of Somalia. This is the majority of Somalia. Yeah. You know, a lot of people's houses were taken away from them during that, um, from to, um, from um, the breaking of the civil war to 2007. And when the Islamic courts were set up, people still had their um, the paperwork to say that this house was mine and this so-and-so stole it. And they'll go to the Islamic courts and the Islamic courts will give their house back. Um, peace 
people were actually going back that time. Uh, families, people were setting up to go back um, to Somalia. And subhanAllah, when the Ethiopians came in, the Islamic courts became something else. Al-Shabaab, um, then they formed Al-Shabaab from there. Yeah. And what Al-Shabaab is today is ridiculous. Um, you know, three. I was at a restaurant right now just recently when I was in Somalia called The Village. That that restaurant there symbolizes the rebirth of Somalia and it's been quoted in a number of um, newspapers. And three days after I left, two guys came in and bombed the place. SubhanAllah. Three days after I left. That's so sad. Why was it bombed? What, what reason what, did they have? The reason is because a lot of the Westerners, a lot of the Somali diaspora, after work or for myself, when I'll, when I'll go out filming the whole day, I'll go there to kick back with uh, some of the other Somalis from the UK and Sweden and so forth, and we'll have a good time there. And it's because it's been quoted, and it symbolises the rebirth of Somalia. Um, Al Shabaab couldn't have taken and um, bombed the place. Um, so, th so their bombing is indiscriminate. Al Shabaab today, nobody knows exactly what they're fighting for. Uh, they say they want to get rid of Western rule. What Western rule? There's young Somalis who've come in to establish businesses to um, educate. There was some, quite a number of people from the UK, a few girls that I saw there who came in just to teach at the universities uh, to educate the Somalis. You know, they want to build this country. And a lot of the people that are pushing this is young Somalis from, from the diaspora. Um, and to be honest, nobody knows till today what they want. And... I, mean, I guess after the Ethiopian invasion hmm. of Somalia, um, a lot of youngsters would have been pushed into anger, aggression, and even now extremism. Yeah. So they would have, I mean, there's even uh, justification that because, the, you know, they're still technically under invasion, that anyone who works in any capacity alongside the invasion is part of it. Yeah. And uh, there was even uh, a famous um, um, argument that one of the scholars was asked, this was hundreds of years ago, one of the scholars was asked, um, I make um, clothes for the uh, oppressor. Uh, yeah. Do I take part of the oppression? Do I contribute to the oppression mm -hmm. of the people? Mm -hmm. And he told him, the people who sell you your twine and your buttons uh, are taking, are contributing to the oppressor. Yeah. You are part of the oppression as well. Yeah. So it's ideas like that that mean that anybody who goes there yeah. and for example gets a visa or he teaches the university is part of the system of oppression. Yeah. But the the people that go there have got nothing to do with the, um, the Ethiopians. I think with Al Shabaab, there's quite a number of people who are from from Afghanistan, from Yemen, from some of the Arab countries that have come in into Somalia who are part of um, Al Shabaab, and you know who breed on the young minds of um, the of young Somalis. And you know the S Somalis for centuries have been nomads. Um, and the way that the word even Somal came about was um, when the Arabs came in, um, you know, when you get a camel and you're, um, when you're pulling milking, camel. milking, milking oh, the okay. camel. Um, so that's what it means. And Somalis are nomads, so they've been pretty much a, a lot of the younger kids only know how to milk camels or take um, herd cattle and so forth. And they've got no education, little knowledge of Islam. And what Al-Shabaab tends to do is tell these little kids, you know, let's go. Uh, do you want to go to Jannat al-Firdaus al-A'la? And they will, the young kid doesn't have much Islamic knowledge. He will say yes. And they will, they will pretty much recruit that young kid uh, into Al-Shabaab. And they are the ones that will be doing the suicide bomb and, 
and so forth. It's very unfortunate. Um, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and I think when I was at uh, when I was at uh, on the Eid prayer, uh, the president of Somalia did a talk uh, to Eid prayer, and he was pleading to Al Shabab and saying that you know let's work together. Just drop your arms, and what do you call it? We'll forgive you for whatever you've done. Um, and be part of this rebirth, uh, be part of this progress that's happening all around Somalia. Um, and I, subhanAllah, I think they don't want nothing to do with it. Because mm. it is, like, even for them, Al-Shabaab, it it's a very lucrative business for them um, in terms of charcoal. Even just recently, the charcoal that was being um, sent overseas uh, was seized. Um, over $22 million worth of charcoal. Uh, that Al Shabab was um, selling all around um, to, around Africa uh, into into um, into the Middle East as well. So this is charcoal from coal mines. Charcoal from coal mines, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, Subhanallah. Like I think the way the country, the progress. If we want to go back to the progress, the Somalis unbelievable at the moment. The, the progress that's happening. The people that are going back. Uh, setting up businesses, setting up uh, infrastructure, and I must say the Turks have done a lot for the country. Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, the the um, the history between the Somalis and the the Turks goes way back. Um, you know, they used to help Somalia during a, uh, quite a number of wars in um, between the Ethiopians and the Somalis. Um, um, early history, uh, they they assisted the Somalis quite a lot. And today, you go around, you see the Turkish flag everywhere. Um, mm. They built the airport, um, quite a number of humanitarian programs um, that's happening in Somalia by the Turks. It's very interesting that Somalia is, of course, just south of the Arab world, and yet none of the Arab world really saw any interest or investment. Exactly, in exactly. My, my father was telling me a story last year before, while the famine was happening, um, that Dubai um, mm. itself was going through a famine at one point. And Somalia was a powerhouse um, once upon a time. And it assisted Dubai, um, people from the United Arab Emirates, um, and helped them quite, quite a bit and got them, th- got them out of the, um, the famine. Um, and today, subhanAllah, when the famine happened last year, if you look at it in comparison to what Somalia did for them and what they did for the Somalis is amazing. This is, um, I mean, history will remember this. Exactly. Even if they won't or they'll pretend not to remember it. SubhanAllah. For sure. For sure. Um, so the issue of the um, famines in Somalia, just uh, touching quickly on it, um, is, I mean, it just seems to be an annual thing, mm. doesn't it? Or is it something that's a bit um, um, seasonal? It's a seasonal thing. Um, when I was there, I, I, I visited um, a few refugee camps. Um, there was a mother who, uh, who Islamic Relief was using quite a quite a bit for its um, for its advertisements um, last year, um, and there was a thir- there was a famous thirteen year old boy called Abdullahi um, who was just skin and bones, mm. and Subhanallah I went to I saw the mother who the son just passed away two weeks ago, and he said Subhanallah he survived the famine last year and. Um, he passed away two weeks ago, and I asked her about the situation in Somalia now. And she, as you said, it's seasonal. Every few years, you know, it gets the weather gets um, pretty bad, and um, drought happens. 
And is there any way of um, fixing it? I mean, you guys are right next to the ocean. Do you have any um, rivers or anything that you can use, or is it just? I, th I think with a lot of the programs that are happening in Somalia, um, they're not long-term sustainable projects. Um, I with a lot of the UN programs, a lot of the uh, World Food programs, you know, it's just constantly giving food handouts. Um, I think a lot more focus needs to go towards um, building um, infrastructure uh, with the water pipes, connect, um, you know, boreholes, um, so that if a drought was to occur again, that they'll be able to um, survive and yeah. make it. Um, and they rely heavily on their cattle, on their camels, um, on their cows, on the sheeps. And if the camels don't get their water, or the cows don't, yeah, um, die then th the cows will die, the camels will die, and eventually they will die. Yeah. Um, and I think people tend to forget about Somalia, and then, you know, remember Somalia when a famine occurs or when there's when there's trouble and so forth. Uh, I think the big test is building the infrastructure now when there's no famine, when there's, alhamdulillah, the weather's pretty good. Um, and I think education goes a long way as well. And I think that's what a lot of the families uh, in the refugee camps that I visited were saying was, alhamdulillah, there's, we're, not, we're not feeling the pain of hunger, but we want education for our kids um, so that, you know, we, we can get out of this, inshallah, and rebuild our lives um, and so forth. Inshallah, inshallah. Um, so then let me ask you, what do you see as the future for Somalia? Like from what you've seen, has there been much of an improvement um, in Somalia over the last, say, you know, since the invasion of Ethiopia? The uh, future for Somalia, to be honest, it's a hopeful one. Um, you know, every, every time a new president is elected, you know, the whole country becomes, starts cheering and um, is quite hopeful. Uh, but what we're seeing now, subhanAllah, this, this new president that we have is a guy that has never left the country for the past 22 years. MashaAllah, that's um, He comes from a humanitarian background. Um, even just the, the ministers um, that he's, that's been elected just recently as well. he got female members of parliament. Um, sorry, uh, quite a diverse, um, what's it called, group as well from various tribals, tribes. So we're very hopeful. I think once we have a good lead, once we have good leadership, um, that's not corrupt. Yeah, <laughs> Inshallah, yeah. we can get we can um, get through this, um, and Somalia can be back up on its feet again. Inshallah, Inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, We're going to go to a break now, and we'll come back with uh, our guest today, uh, Abdi Malik Osman. Uh, we'll be talking about Somalia and eventually uh, Palestine as well. So stay with us. And we're back for just a little bit. Um, I just realized that uh, one very good, sorry, Arfan Makki, Palestine Nasheed. There's a very good Nashi uh, song uh, by a Somali poet and singer. Uh, and his name is uh, Kenan. Kenan, is it? That's it. Yeah. Uh, and so we're basically, uh, we'll be playing Kenan's uh, FIFA World Cup song, uh, Waving Flag. It's uh, very catchy, very Somali, so it's very relevant as well. <laughs> so anyways, uh, Kenan is uh, born in... Um, Kenya? Born in Somalia. Born in Somalia, sorry. Memory, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he lived outside. He lived. He went to Canada at the age of thirteen, mm. um, and I think his his fame went up there um, after the World Cup song, 
And last year during the famine, he was a spokesperson for Somalia. That's great. And that was Kenan with Waving Flag, uh, which is the, I think it was the World Cup 2000 and something. Theme song, yeah. Theme song for the World Cup 2000 and something. I actually uh, stopped watching um, or unfollowing the World Cup uh, because it sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but uh, the song itself is amazing. And that brings us to another very interesting um, um, part of Somalia, which we would never know because of, you know, the language barrier and everything, uh, poetry. So you're telling me, um, Abdi, that uh, Somalia is known for its poets. That's correct. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Um, why is it known for its poets? What makes it different? How is the poetry styled? I think when you just listen to the Somali person talk or the language, it's so poetic. Um, and I, like I had the blessing to meet one of the greatest Somali poets, Maki Haji Bin and we went to his house at 8 a.m. in the morning and he was still asleep. And um, he woke up straight away. He had a quick shower and he brought breakfast and uh, he brought us breakfast of Made for Champions, uh, <laughs> which cons- consisted of biscuit uh, the size of your palm, um, halwa and um, coffee and banana bread. And Sounds yum. <laughs> it's a great breakfast. And as well, I had the great privilege of interviewing him after that as well and he recited three poems, uh, one of them which was titled وَمَا الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مُتَعَ الْقُرُورِ Another one which was Somalia تَحَدِّرْ which means Somalia, be careful. And That that uh, poet, poem of وَمَا الْحَيَةِ الدُّنْيَا that's a very old poem, isn't it? That's a very old poem. Because I, I saw a video of it uh, yeah. like in YouTube, very old, he, he looked young. Yeah, yeah. And I could only pick up the Arabic but it sounded like it was very heavy. Yeah, it was very heavy, very deep. <laughs> Um, and then the last one he did which I loved um, which uh, was called Shangani I am sorry and he mixed English and Somali throughout the whole poetry and Mm. he'll he'll say a few very strong um, verses and then he'll say Shangani I'm sorry Shangani is a suburb uh, in Somalia and my mum was just telling me a few days ago that my auntie grew up there as well and in his poetry um he spoke, he went uh, and fur- went further to say that um, that war um, that war means poverty, it means hunger, it means pain, it means struggle, the loss of life, and that peace is the key to life, and that peace is um, that peace doesn't come easily. It takes hard work. It takes kushur in prayer and lots of du'a. Um, and then in his poetry, uh, he went on to say that um, Shingani, um, your heart, your liver, your stomach, uh, all of it was thrown onto the streets. And I'm sorry. And the main reason was because of tribalism and its beauty, the beauty of that suburb uh, with its beaches and all that was turned to, uh, turned to black, um, turned to red because of all the blood uh, that was spilt there. Uh, just the way he he explains things, just the way he puts things together, um, is amazing. Um, the Somali poetry, when you listen to it, they talk like 
so fast and then they'll take a breath. Um, they'll probably say one whole paragraph in one breath and then they'll stop and then they'll go again. And you have to listen. I think the main reason is because you have to listen very carefully. Because it's very fast and it's full very of meaning. A lot of meaning. Um, and subhanAllah, it's amazing for him to... like When someone writes a poetry and he was telling me, he goes, you can't just pick up a pen and just, just write like that. He goes, you have to feel what's happening around you at that very moment. And that's what he's been doing for the past 50 years. Um, and he's very well known for his poetry. And he's been writing some recently and he it's all about the peace and it's all about the progress that's happening in Somalia today. Mashallah. So just by following his poetry, you can follow the history of Somalia as well. Exactly. Um, this is amazing, an amazing topic. I wish I could... Um talk about it some more but um we've come to the end of this segment so abdi thank you very much for this this has been oh, amazing yeah. uh you mentioned you were making a documentary about it so when is the no- documentary coming down hopefully in the next couple of weeks next um i should be able to uh, get it done and inshallah you talking to abc and sbs so yeah. you should see you there soon inshallah w- will we get a vip ticket to it as well for sure okay. Okay. Yeah, truth. appreciate that <laughs> Uh, so we end uh, this segment with another uh, song by Kenan. It's called In the Beginning. Apparently, it's supposed to be amazingly good. So we'll listen to that as well. Somebody was upset that um, I didn't tell them that there was going to be screaming in the beginning of the song, so they were, um, you know, they were unprepared for it. <laughs> yeah. So um, now we're talking about um, Palestine, which is um, again something that's um, it comes and goes. It's a very painful thing. The problem with Palestine is that um, every couple of years this happens, and every couple of years. Um, you know, we still go through the same motions. The only difference now is that with Twitter and Facebook, we're getting live updates of the what's happening. It's just amazingly destructive. Um, so a rough uh, rundown of what's happening is um, it, Israel has been um, cordoning off uh, Gaza for the last five years. So it's been controlling every input of water, fuel, um, medicines and food, uh, basically everything over the last five years. They allow only enough so that the children and the people there would live just above the poverty line, right? So that people don't say, you know, these people are being, um, hu- you know, kept hungry until their death. They're actually just being kept hungry. Um, people who want to travel, of course, have to go through great uh, lengths and it's very, very difficult, uh, very humiliating. Um, also, um, Israel basically has the right to go in and do whatever they want to to to, uh, to Palestinians, basically killing them and doing whatever they want. You also have the um, uh, the illegal settlements that are popping up uh, in in faster and faster um, uh, rate. Uh, you have people from the 
um, uh, from the settlements. They're called price tag. They're terrorists who go and burn mosques and uh, graffiti different places, etc. And they're allowed to do so, um, you know, with the acquiescence of the uh, Israeli uh, government. So, yeah, what happened, I think, about a week ago is um, Israelis went in and bombed something in, in Gaza. And they killed two kids playing soccer. And so one of the um, armed factions in Gaza, the um, uh, I think Islamic Jihad, shot a few rockets into the um, Israeli um, settlements. And so then uh, uh, Israelis went in again and then started shooting again um, at um, uh, Gaza and killed more people. Uh, what had turned everything um, upside down or what had really started this next bout of aggression against Gaza or against Palestine, actually, because a lot of people are mentioning that this is not just against Gaza, it's against Palestine. They want to make, they want to break down Palestine into smaller and smaller pieces until they have everybody fighting against each other uh, with the biggest enemy, Israel, um, you know, um, being safe from their aggression. Uh, he was a militant um, leader in uh, Hamas. He was one of the big leaders of Hamas, and he was actually involved in a negotiations for a peace treaty between him and um, Israel, in which uh, Egypt was taking part, uh, mediating. Um, and so that person was killed. So the person who was involved in the peace treaty or uh, negotiations for the peace treaty between uh, Hamas and Israel was shot out of the sky. And that's the video that you will see now if you Google it. Uh, the IDF uh, spokespeople were very kind to provide us with a YouTube video um, about it, um, showing how... Uh, pinpoint accurate uh, their uh, ex uh, their um, attacks are. But this pinpoint accuracy, subhanAllah, it's been killing people forever. Um, just two days ago or yesterday, um, a, um, uh, one of the journalists for the BBC Arabic who was living in Gaza had his 11-month-old baby killed. But the BBC did not uh, initially uh, post that. The BBC mentioned that uh, Palestinians fired rockets into Israel didn't even mention that one of its staff was killed. It only mentioned, I mean, it's 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 very unfortunate, subhanAllah. Um, again, um, very unfortunate that in Israel as well, um, um, Gil, uh, sorry, in Australia as well, Gilad was calling for, um, uh, was calling for, uh, you know, Gaza to, to stop attacking Israel and saying that Israel has the right to um, protect itself. The same thing with Obama. Uh, he said that Israel has the right to protect itself. Same rubbish, really. It's very unfortunate, again, because they're being they're trying so hard not to see the facts, even though the facts are just blatantly out there. Um, Hamas was not uh, the ones who instigated this uh, aggression. Uh, they were not the ones who um, um, who are killing more people. I mean, I think they said that 24 people over the last five years were killed. Uh, in Israel from um, Hamas rockets or from rockets coming out of uh, um, uh, Hamas, uh, Gaza, sorry, while tens of, of people, including children, are continuously killed, um, jailed, tortured, uh, um, uh, and wounded uh, in, um, in attacks by Israel almost on a daily basis, and yet nobody mentions anything about that. Uh, one thing that's happening around the world, uh, alhamdulillah, and that's a very good thing as well, is that um, finally people are, are waking up to this. So before people were not aware of what was happening and they always thought that Palestine uh, or the, the Palestinians were always the ones who were aggressing, but now there is 
uh, a global awareness of this, uh, thanks to social media and thanks to amazing um, uh, activists um, locally and internationally as well, especially uh, services like uh, Electronic Intifada. Uh, so we have um, uh, an interview, a short interview here with Lutfi Zaid from Palestine Action Group, which is a, a, a um, Australian um, Palestinian activist group. Sorry, they are, they have called for a rally to join with the global rally against uh, the aggression on Gaza. So now we are with Lutfi Zaid from the Palestine Action Group. Lutfi, how are you? Thank you very much. That's good. Um, so Lutfi, tell us. Um, about the situation in Palestine, um, how how bad has it gotten so far over the last three days? Well, over the past three days, there have been more than 20 people killed uh, from the Israeli operation, which has been named the Pillar of Defense, including children such as seven-year-old, including Ramam Arafat, an 11-month-old baby. Mm-hmm. And more than 70 people have been wounded and injured by the attack. Yep. and including six women and altogether 12 children. 12 children, yeah. And um, is, is there any possible um, peaceful outcome uh, over the next few days or is it just likely to get worse and worse? Well, from all indications, Israel intends to, intends to escalate the attack. Like recently, leaflets have just been dropped on the Gaza Strip warning residents that a ground invasion is imminent. Wow, okay. Um, and uh, in Estra- I, I know that uh, globally there are uh, marches and rallies uh, planned uh, to take place. Uh, and so is, is something happening in uh, Sydney as well? Yes, well, as you might have heard, protests are taking place all over the globe at the moment, including Israel, including Palestine. But next Saturday, on 24th of November, at 12 p.m., there will be in Town Hall, just here in Sydney, a protest which the Palestine Action Group has called for a broad endorsement uh, to condemn Israel's most recent aggression against the Gaza Strip. Okay. Um, so that's uh, not the Saturday, the, sta- the Saturday after? Uh, yep. Well, the rally will assemble at Town Hall, then we'll be marching on to the Israeli consulate, and from there we'll be marching to the U.S. consulate and be condemning these acts by Israel. Okay, and uh, in light of what uh, violence that uh, took place uh, a couple of weeks ago in the other um, rally that took place, the other protests, um, are there enough, uh, I guess, measures to ensure that everybody uh, is, is kept safe? Uh, yeah, 100%. We, we are working with the police for this, and we uh, will have marshals who will be controlling the crowd in higher visible vests, and Palestine Action Group has been a part of many protests in the past and we are really organized and experienced in these types of situations and have always kept peaceful and under control. Yeah, cool. And is something happening in Melbourne as well for our Melbourne listeners? Pretty sure on Melbourne, the 23rd of November on the Friday, yep. there is going to be a, a... I can't give the exact location, but I know something is happening. And if you look on our Facebook page, Palestine Action Group, you will find something definitely. Okay, cool. So uh, you're talking about facebook.com slash Palestine Action Group? Uh, yep. Okay, Sydney. Great. Palestine Action Group, Sydney. Uh, Palestine Action Group, Sydney. All right, uh, Lutfi Zai, thank you very much uh, for your time, and uh, we'll hope to see you uh, at the rally next uh, Saturday. Okay, thank you very much, and I hope to see you all there. And that was Lutfi Zai from the Palestine Action Group. His um, the way to get more information is facebook.com slash Palestine Action Group, Sydney.
Um, so this is the situation that's happening in Palestine. It's getting worse and worse. Um, uh, recently, as uh, Lutfi mentioned, um, uh, it was uh, announced that uh, close to 30,000 Israeli troops may be making an entry into uh, Palestine, into Gaza, actually, which is the most densely populated area on Earth, uh, with, I think, about 4,000 people per, per square kilometer. Um, something that's promising. Again, I mean, after the Arab Spring, you'd, you'd expect uh, the Arab countries to be more uh, supportive of what's happening, but subhanAllah, uh, nothing happening so far. I mean, uh, Mohammed Qandil, the uh, foreign, uh, the the Prime Minister of Egypt, and uh, now I'm here reading that the also um, a high level minister from Tunis are making visits to to Gaza. So inshallah, something good comes out of that. Uh, so we'll be making a more uh, advanced or more in-depth um, uh, um, talk about that, inshallah, not talk, uh, show about that uh, tomorrow, uh, inshallah. Uh, and finally, just before we sign off, um, uh, there is a um, great initiative happening now, uh, which is the um, Australia-New Zealand Awqaf Conference, uh, which is happening on the 6th to the 7th of December at UNSW. The New South Wales Muslim Communities Capacity Building Guild is organizing its inaugural Australia-New Zealand Awqaf Development Conference on the 6th to 7th of December at the University of New South Wales, Sydney. This will provide an opportunity for Muslim communities to learn practical areas of Awqaf development and set priorities and initiate action for the immediate term. Awqaf development has the potential to tackle a major part of it. This conference is aimed at community leaders and elders, service providers and passionate young members of the community, Many community and culture groups have been invited to attend. Uh, conference aims to accelerate community development amongst Muslim communities in Australia. It aims to pool together resources and expertise, share ideas between uh, different communities on the topic, and set down priorities for the next 12 to 24 months. And you can also go to http uh, muslimguild.wordpress.com slash presentations. And I'll be uh, putting the link on the group as well, inshallah. Tickets for the conference are on sale now at anzawqaf.eventbrite.com.au. Tickets are $20 for students or $40 for professionals. So this is a uh, great initiative, inshallah. And um, I hope that we will all um, be uh, you know, attending it. I will be doing a show with one of the uh, spokesmen, which is Ilyas Atiyah. Um, and um, probably also doing a piece on the conference itself and what awqaf means and what it can do for the Muslim community. Uh, unfortunately now though we come to the end of our show um, this has been an amazing show I'd like to thank our guest uh, Abdi uh, Abdi Malik Osman for uh, the incredible insight that he's given us for Somali thank you very much bro. Uh, genuinely this was something that we really all needed an understanding of a Muslim country that's been forgotten that's uh, been under so much um, um, violence and so much uh, oppression um, to show us the beauty of it I mean, from the physical beauty to the poetry. Jazakallah um, khairan. Thank you for coming. And uh, also thank you to Lutfi Zaid, who um, spoke to us. Uh, thanks to Vodafone. Uh, Vodafone, you want bad reception? Get Vodafone. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we come to the end of our show, inshallah. And this is the presenter of the show, Nasr Khatib, wishing you a good weekend. And we will see you next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.